a little over a year ago. I interviewed Dr. Reagan Gale and Charlene Bradford in the Yukon, along with Dr. Veronica Hutchings in Newfoundland, for a piece on rural and northern psychology. It wasn't a podcast, but a written piece about the unique challenges of providing psychological services in remote areas of Canada. If you're interested in that piece, I've included it in the show notes of today's episode. In a way, this episode is a follow-up to that piece. My name is Eric Bollman. I'm the communications person at the Canadian Psychological Association, and this is Mindful. When I spoke with Reagan and Charlene a year ago, they were in the middle of fighting to get the profession of psychology regulated in the Yukon. At the time, it was the first I had heard that the Yukon was the last territory in Canada where psychologists could operate without oversight, and in fact where anyone could set up shop and call themselves a psychologist, regardless of their qualifications. Earlier this month, the Yukon government finally agreed to regulate the profession, thanks in no small part to the advocacy of Reagan and Charlene, who are joining us today. So my name is Reagan Gale. I am I'm a psychologist. I've had the really great privilege of working in several different parts of the country. So I did my pre-doctoral internship in Halifax. And then, then I moved to Calgary and I took a position at a hospital in Calgary. And from Calgary, I moved up to Yukon, where I worked as the director of clinical psychology for Yukon government for just under 10 years. And so I've uh, like I said, I've had this great opportunity to work with psychologists and clients and families uh, in several different parts of the country. And even now, I'm, I, I am registered in the NWT and in Nunavut. And so I, I see clients from those jurisdictions as well. And so I feel like I I'm very lucky to have a good sense of real psychological practice and the 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 context for psychological practice across Canada. In terms of what I do, I primarily offer assessments. So I offer lifespan neuropsychological assessments in Ontario. I'm a designated capacity assessor. So I do lots of different lots of different things, um, and I yeah I have a a busy and active private practice and get to also hang out with Charlene a lot on, on lots of Zoom calls. So how about you, Charlene? So I'm Charlene Bradford. I'm a registered psychologist with College of Alberta Psychologists. I have been up in Yukon for, I think, almost 20 years at this point. I started my psychology journey while living in Yukon. And so definitely my practice is pretty firmly rooted in kind of rural and northern areas of the territory here. I've been a few places. Um, I did some work in youth justice. I worked for the Department of Education and I moved into my private practice, I want to say maybe eight or nine years ago. I work with mostly kids, youth and parents in on the intervention and therapy side of things and then do assessments kind of across the lifespan depending on who comes through the doors. Terrific. Well, it's wonderful to have you both here. And I know that you've been on many Zoom calls uh, yourselves <laughs> amongst each other. I'm glad to be uh, participating in this one. And uh, Reagan, when we spoke about a year ago, you were talking about trying to get psychology mm -hmm. regulated in the Yukon. And at, at that time, you were working at the Yukon government. Now the Yukon government is moving forward and you're no longer with the Yukon government. Were you the stumbling block? Were you the obstacle? Did you have to get out of the way to make this happen? Eric, I think I'm going to have to talk about that in my own psychotherapy sessions. I'm not going to say <laughs> that it's an impossibility, but um, we are delighted. I, I just totally delighted, both Charlene and I and the members of, of the Psychological Society of Yukon, we are really delighted that Yukon government has announced that it's going to be moving forward 
uh, with creating a regulatory framework for psychologists in the territory. Last time, when we first got to chat with you, Yukon was the only, and still is, the only Canadian jurisdiction where a psychological practice is completely unregulated. And, you know, there are significant risks to the public and, frankly, uh, risks to professionals as well, uh, working and operating in in a, in a jurisdiction where there is none of that statutory oversight. And Charlene, Reagan mentioned the Psychological Society of the Yukon. I think that you are the president of the uh, Psychological Society of Yukon, or PSY, if you will, with an excellent acronym. From what I understand and from what I recall in our previous conversation, that's sort of an ad hoc group that was formed because there is no regulatory body in Yukon. Is that accurate? Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, absolutely. We formed four years ago, five years ago, something like that, Reagan. Reagan was was our first president of the Psy board, as we like to call ourselves, um, <laughs> and definitely was formed with two goals. The first goal definitely being regulation within UConnor, and the second being helping to advocate for quality psychological services for UConners. And you both mentioned being licensed in other provinces and territories. Charlene, you mentioned being regulated with the Alberta College of Psychologists. Uh, Reagan, you mentioned working in Northwest Territories. None of it. I presume that you also were regulated through Alberta. I know that the Northwest Territories and none of it have an agreement with the Alberta College of Psychologists where you can get regulated in Alberta and then practice in those territories. And that's the way that it's working. Does it look like that's the way Yukon is going to go? Are they going to follow that model? I would say it looks like some of the pieces are going to be similar to Northwest Territories. It looks like the government will be overseeing registration as opposed to having a college in the way most of the Southern jurisdictions do. It does look like there's going to be a few differences as well, though, um, some of which we are happy with and some of that maybe less so. Well, I first want to say that we're grateful that Yukon government has um, involved us and our members in requesting feedback on like a technical brief of what the regulation would look like. So we're grateful to kind of be building and be part of the we're not drafters ourselves, but we're we're really grateful to be able to provide the feedback of our members in the drafting process to capture maybe some of those areas of the proposed regulation that we wonder about. But going back to your point, Eric, I just wanted to like also to make it clear that if you're licensed or regulated as a psychologist in any Canadian jurisdiction, you can apply under the labor mobility, the Canadian free trade agreement, the labor mobility pathway to work as a psychologist in any other jurisdiction. So doesn't work quite the way you're describing it in terms of getting licensed in Alberta and then automatically being able to uh, port that into the NWT or Nunavut. I, I also know this is not a, a podcast about statutes and um, <laughs> free trade agreements and regulatory frameworks. So we won't get too far into the weeds. I tried to do a podcast so, on that subject once. It is still sitting on the shelf because it bored me halfway through. <laughs> and I thought, if that's the case, then I don't want uh -huh. to inflict that on anyone else. So one day we'll figure out how uh -huh. to do a proper podcast on regulation. But today is not that day. But in the meantime, I, I am curious, and I, I think people would like to know, what is the main impetus for wanting the profession to be regulated? I think most of us have this idea of, oh, the more regulations that someone puts on me and my job, the more onerous it's going to be for me to do that job. Why would anybody want that? You've both been advocating for it for a very long time. 
why? Why do you want your profession to have more guardrails and restrictions than it might otherwise have? I would say there's a few big reasons why regulation is so important to to us in particular. I think the biggest one just really comes down to protection of the public. We deal in mental health, right? Not physical health. And so with that, of course, comes that any injuries are maybe less obvious, right? It's not like you see someone's, you know, psyche and soul, et cetera, out in the world in the same way you would see a broken leg. And so the risk of harming someone because you're not trained, you're not experienced, you're not competent, can get really high. And the the costs of that to a person can be really quite huge. So one of the biggest pieces in regulation, of course, is that it's setting up minimum standards for education, it's setting up requirements for experience and supervision, and then there's oversight. So if something goes sideways, person has somewhere to go and say, hey, this thing happened with my psychologist, and is that okay? And then, you know, there's someone who takes a look and says, well, yes or no, and you know, appropriate things can happen afterwards. So I think that's one of the biggest things for us is really, we want to keep people safe. We want people to be healthy and happy and, you know, living lives that they're pleased with and that they enjoy. From a clinician perspective, is that the other benefit to having a regulatory framework is that we will also have Yukon specific standards of practice. And so that can help clinicians coming in. Yukon um, has Uh, several psychologists who live in territory, who provide psychological services to Yukoners, but there's also a number of clinicians who either fly in for assessment or offer virtual assessment. And the creation of a regulatory framework with an associated standards of practice will allow clinicians to know what they need to know that's unique about Yukon in order to provide high quality evidence-informed services to Yukoners. Because the reality of remote and Northern practice is different than than it is, you know, in in urban southern Canadian centers. And I do want to just make one quick point here, which is that we are not all three of us psychologists. I am in no way trained as a psychologist. I have zero education. And I think I may have missed the boat because up until just now, I could have set up a shop in Yukon as a psychologist and delivered virtual, absolutely unscientific therapy from my own living room. Now I'm going to be unable to do that, which I think is the point of the entire exercise here. So are you guys satisfied with where you are in Yukon, where the government is, and how quickly is this going to be implemented now that they've made the decision to do that? It seems like it took a long time for the decision to be made. Is it going to take a long time for it to be implemented? Charlene, your connection's a little better. I'm going to start with you. So the timeline that they provided for regulations is actually quite optimistic, and we're quite excited about it. They're expecting to have the regulation pieces kind of in spring next year, which is fabulous and is moving quite quickly, especially for a government organization. We don't have timelines yet for the implementation. So in the technical document that they've given us, that spot was blank as a to be determined. So we're hopeful that regulations will happen and that there will be proper psychological regulations here in Yukon before summer next year. And hopefully the implementation goes quickly after that as well. And so once it is implemented, Will there still be a need for the Psychological Society of Yukon 
or will that become obsolete? Will you have to find something else? Or will that become sort of a satellite body, a regulatory uh, organization? Will it change its mandate as this takes place? Uh, so we will never be a regulatory organization. <laughs> Right. We would be considered more like a professional association. So Alberta is a great, well, almost every territory or province, sorry, has these in which they have a regulatory body and then a separate professional association. And so SI will stay a professional association. We will drop the part of our mandate about advocating for regulation. We'll have a big check mark beside that. And we'll keep that piece about advocating for high quality psychological services within Yukon. I expect that we will do a lot more training and networking opportunities and really trying to support psychologists in Yukon to do good things in Yukon. Terrific. All right. I have a quick question. And this is something that's just occurring to me now. And I've been doing this since I spoke with you guys a year ago. And I've been referring to it as Yukon and not the Yukon. I see you guys are both doing the same thing. And Reagan, why is it that we do that? Why am I doing that now? I don't even remember the reason. I'm sorry, we, we are very much losing you. We can't hear you here and you're breaking up a lot. That's totally fine. You right. have some other questions and we'll just kind of keep going will, and hopefully Reagan can join. <laughs> yes, we will keep going and hopefully uh, she can come back in. And I'm thinking this is part of, you know, uh, part of working in a rural and northern area is that there is a lot of connectivity issues. There are a lot of uh, people who don't have access to this sort of thing. I'm thinking right now about uh, we are talking as people in Yellowknife are evacuating and trying to make their way down to Calgary, which is such an enormously long way, right? And I don't think we realize just how northern some of the places in the territories are, right? A 15-hour, 17-hour drive from Yellowknife to Calgary, which is the next closest place that they can go to escape these wildfires. And so maybe you can tell me just a little bit about what it is to be a psychologist in somewhere so uh, remote compared to, right? I mean, what's the nearest major city uh, to where you are, I presume, in Whitehorse? Yeah, it, rural and northern is a whole different level when you're in the territories, for sure. Um, it is not maybe what's considered rural or northern when you're in maybe Ontario. This is a whole different ball game. Um, in Yukon, we have some communities that are fly-in only. Um, one of our communities is only accessible by road in the winter when there's an ice bridge. Um, right. And I would, yeah, and I would suspect there are similar things happening like that in Northwest Territories and Nunavut as well. Uh, connectivity is a huge, huge issue. I would say that most psychologists practicing with telehealth are very reluctant. Um, we would probably use telehealth more in a check-in kind of way than in an ongoing therapy way, simply because as we're discovering with Reagan, um, you might be in the middle of something really big and important for someone and have the call drop stutter, all of those kinds of pieces. And so we really have to be thoughtful about how we're using technology and kind of the ways in which we do it. We also, like you said, have lots of communities in which the internet um, is quite expensive. And so individuals may not have internet. And so they're like, oh, no, we'll make telehealth work. We really, we really want to see someone. And so then they'll be trying to do, you know, confidential things in a classroom where teachers are coming in and out, or they'll be at a health center and, you know, random people are walking through. Uh, and it, it's not that it's it is taken very seriously about, you know, that someone's needing therapy and needing supports. However, 
just in the nature of how the communities organize, that becomes really hard to have a safe, confidential, secure place for someone to use telehealth from. Um, so the lovely things about telehealth are great. And we're pretty cautious about them, I would say, in in the territories, like kind of across right. the board. Uh, yes, we are a long way from everywhere. Our version of a road trip is much different than yours, I'm sure. I would say the next... I don't know. What are you considering a large city? I mean, it's at least a full day drive to Fort Nelson. And I mean, like 12, 13 hours. So I don't know if you consider Fort Nelson big, but it's, you know, there it is. Well, uh, I have never heard of Fort Nelson. So I'm going to guess <laughs> so that no. it's not. I'm going to say no. <laughs> I would say, so I guess for a reference point to get to Vancouver from here would be a full like three day drive. And I mean, Vancouver is a long way down, but you know, you're looking at getting us getting to Calgary is two and a half days, right? It's a long way. So distance is definitely something else. And I mean, the same holds for lots of our communities, definitely communities that are kind of within about a two, two and a half, three hour radius from Whitehorse, definitely are better able to access high quality psychological services. They're able to come into town more regularly and practitioners are able to get out to them more regularly. Once you get a little bit past that, it becomes really challenging, especially in the winter. It's really dark. (laughs) At times, it's really cold. And of course, there can be lots of snow, etc. So traveling out to communities can be really challenging. We are lucky that we have a really great Yukon-based airline, which is half Indigenous owned. (laughs) Yes, we love Air North. (laughs) And, uh, And so they do regular flights to many of the of, of the quite far communities out there. And so they have regulars, can have regular service and regular flights in and out, which helps quite a bit, right? As a practitioner, it's much easier to get somewhere if you're not thinking that you're having to drive there in the winter. So flying makes it a lot easier. And you mentioned the privacy issue. Right now at the CPA, we're working on specific telehealth guidelines and releasing those for psychologists across Canada. And one of the major things in that, of course, is this idea of the privacy and the security of the connection that you're using, right? We're using Zoom right now, not terribly secure as far as this goes, but for an interview purpose, not necessary to be, right? There's not client information that we need to protect here, but that kind of thing must be something that is a serious concern for people who are unregulated acting as psychologists in a territory like the Yukon, where you can do it from anywhere. And if you're not really that, you know, if nobody's looking over your shoulder to make sure that you have the right privacy settings and the right security on all of the devices you're using, uh, it could conceivably uh, leave people very vulnerable to having their information stolen, shared, or released without their consent. Is that one of the things that was brought up as a reason for regulating psychologists when you were going through this process? I don't think that the concerns about about privacy and technology were were our biggest initial motivators. A privacy violation is is really a really significant issue. I think what motivated us to be to begin with was the other types of risks that can be associated with poor psychological services, right? When you're meeting with a psychologist, you are sharing some of the most intimate parts of your life, likely. You are making yourself vulnerable, very vulnerable to the person you're meeting with. And I think our concern was, you know, when we have people working as psychologists who who 
may not be eligible for registration in another Canadian jurisdiction for whatever reason or who don't have the, that regulatory oversight, that people could really be harmed because the act of speaking with a yeah, the act of speaking with a psychologist requires requires clients to be vulnerable and brave. And there's risk in that, real risk, um, when there's poor practice. I imagine one of the other risks, and I feel like we discussed this when we were talking about uh, the push to regulate psychology in the Yukon, was that somebody who was, say, suspended, had their license suspended in another jurisdiction because of some sort of complaint process, some sort of uh, malpractice on their part, could then go and set up in the Yukon without any sort of guardrails around them because it's the last place where even somebody who has been determined not to be a very good psychologist and uh, to be doing harm to patients can then go and continue to uh, perform the same job and create presumably the same harms. Is that one of the things that, am I remembering correctly that that was one of the the issues that that was raised back then? Excellent memory. Yes, 100%. Um, that is certainly one of the things that having a lack of any kind of regulatory oversight allows. And uh, I will share, while I was never contacted from someone who had lost their license to practice, while I was working as the director of clinical psychology for the government of Yukon, I did receive several calls over the years from people who had applied to become like people who had applied to register in other jurisdictions, but had had run out the clock on the, to write the EPPP, which is one of our, the, the exam, one of the, like the North American exam that sets the standard. Um, so they had failed, they had failed the test that you have to write to enter the profession. And they could not write it anymore. And so they contacted me to ask if they could just start working in Yukon because they they uh, knew, knew that they did not have to write that test or indeed do any, provide any other kind of uh, background or, or uh, credential review in order to start working there. And so how do you answer that? Is the answer, well, yes, you can, but I prefer if you didn't? Or, I mean, how do you answer somebody who asks you that question? Yes, there is nothing from a regulatory perspective that precludes you from from coming here to work. And I would encourage you to think about all of the really important reasons why we have the EPPP and why we have those other processes in place to become a provisional psychologist. None of the folks that called me ever relocated to Whitehorse and started working but I'm I'm not I'm not going to say that that was because I dissuaded them. I also think there's probably there's something uh you know if you're not attracted to rural and northern life, this is a lot different from Bay Street. That's all I'll say. Yes, no doubt that it is. All right. Well, then let's close with some uh, discussion of rural and northern life. What is so What is so great about it that uh, Charlene, for example, you've been there a very long time. What has kept you there? Why are you still in Whitehorse in the Yukon and enjoying it as you do? Yeah, and and I do I do love being up here. This is it's a wonderful place. Uh, some of the things I love about Yukon is there is a beautiful sense of community here in Yukon um, because it's smaller. I, I know not only the psychological community that I do feel like supports me, but I personally know lots of the other supports in town, as well as j just an just an entire sense of community that is fabulous on my horse. 
I like being outside a lot and we have a lot of that. And so in terms of kind of those quality of life pieces, um, Whitehorse can be quite an active community. There's amazing cross-country skiing. There's lots of beautiful trail running and hiking in the summers. Um, paddling is gorgeous and the air is really clean, <laughs> which is, is a fabulous part of it. it. From a professional perspective, there are a lot of opportunities in can be a lot of opportunities in Yukon as well. Um, especially being in private practice, I really get to choose the things I'm interested in and the clients that I'm interested in. And provided I can afford to go out to trainings, which is the uh, the expensive piece, um, there is a lot of opportunity to kind of really grow in terms of my profession and what I like to do. Whereas you may be a little bit more maybe restricted in a larger center where there's the need to specialize more, right? I get to be quite a generalist and have, you know, my hands in a few different kinds of pots, which I really enjoy. I'm hoping that we can just finish this off by walking me through a bit of the process that went into this. When did you start lobbying the government in the Yukon? When did you start advocating for this? And how did you go about doing that? And how is the, like, t- walk me through as much of that process as you can in yeah. four minutes. <laughs> uh, this has been a learning curve, I think, for all of us in terms of what advocation like advocacy would look like. Like Reagan and I said at the beginning, we started about four years ago as a society. The first piece we really did was trying to raise some public awareness that there wasn't regulation in Yukon. It was not well known. So we did a lot of social media to try to kind of really spread the word out that that's what was going on, as well as some interviews with local papers, just and CBC North as well did an article. And we had one with you guys as well, just really kind of putting out there, hey, we're not regulated. We had some really great support from our opposition parties uh, in terms of kind of really asking some hard questions in the House about why we weren't regulated. One of my favorite moments happened when our the leader of our opposition party stood up and was like, so my understanding is that in the absence of regulation, I could set out my shingle saying, you know, Curry Psychological Services, is that correct? And the government had to say yes. Yes, it is. You can do that, which was kind of a beautiful moment for us just in terms of like, that's a little scary, don't you all think? So there was that piece of it for sure. Definitely lots of public awareness. We had really great support from the Council of Professional Associations of Psychologists. So that's the CPAP organization, which is a collective of professional associations across Canada. Really great support in terms of how they advocate documents, brochures, all those kinds of things. We did lots of like health fairs, mental wellness forums, anywhere we could kind of put the name out. As that started to kind of build some traction, and there definitely became a, a government response of, oh, right, this is this is an issue. This is a thing. This is something people care about. And so then we began some talks with the government about what that would look like, what our hopes were for regulation, why that was important. We've done lots of work with our members about kind of what they hope to see and really tried to present and advocate with that for government as well. It's been a long journey of uh, of out there trying to push this message. And so we're really, really excited that it's finally coming to fruition. We feel like it's it's building, it's culminating, and uh, we're very, very pleased. What I'm wondering what surprised you the most about this process, because I remember speaking to you and, and we had sort of decided that it really is kind of an easy fix for the government to do. You really just 
say one quick thing, you pass one quick law and away you go, right? There's not a whole lot that needs to go into it, but it did take a long time. The gears, of course, move slowly. Like I'm wondering what might what, what surprised you the most about this process? So many things. This was not something that was in my in my realm of anything before this. I think some of the biggest surprises were the original timeline we had were given from the government when they first started talking about it was quite long and we were quite dismayed to be honest and I think one of the biggest surprises is when they came we kept pushing and when we came back to them a couple months later they suddenly had revised their timelines quite substantially and so it went from being you know a four to ten year process to being a year and a half two year process so I think that was the biggest like yes of the entire thing was like oh good that is so much better i think that was the biggest surprise for me uh was there anything for you reagan no i'm not sure i was surprised i was perhaps just um reminded of of uh you know governments are big ships that turn slowly and and we knew we knew that this was a marathon and not a sprint and but to echo what what charlene said you know i think we We've been really lucky to harness some uh, political momentum through a couple of territorial elections. The last couple of territorial elections where advocating for regulation was picked up by the second and third parties. And and um, anyway, got we got lots of airtime and that really helped help us be more successful in our message. And it appears, you know, once once the commitment was made, um, We've, we've moved ahead and it's been really heartening to see. Congratulations on reaching the home stretch of that marathon and we'll be following along as this uh, continues. So thank you both so much for taking the time today. Thank you. What's well, a pleasure, Eric. We will continue to follow along as the process unfolds in the Yukon and we'll keep everyone up to date on the latest developments, maybe on this podcast, but more likely through the social media and internal channels of the Canadian Psychological Association. For more information on the process, please check the show notes. Mindful is written, hosted, recorded, and published by me, Eric Bullman. Our producer is Jamie Montgomery, and our theme music is Avenues by David Taylor.